Hey Tribe, did you know the average business is missing out on 50% more sales? If you're an ambitious female entrepreneur who is leveling up this year and your path is to grow beyond seven figures, I have an invitation for you. Every month I open my calendar up for a few lucky business owners to take advantage of a rev up your revenue assessment. You may not know this, but only 2% of sales close on that first contact or the first sales call. And most entrepreneurs are missing out on tens of thousands of dollars in additional revenue every month because they don't have a repeatable process that nurtures those other 98% of leads who just aren't ready to say yes yet. Like most businesses, you may even fall into that roller coaster cycle of feast or famine, or maybe you're just randomly bringing on new clients, but you don't know where they're coming from and why they're choosing you. If that's the case, let's find out if there are clients and dollars that you may be overlooking with a rev up your revenue assessment. In the assessment, we dive into your sales processes, identify low-hanging fruit, develop a simple and repeatable process for you to close clients like clockwork, and give you the action steps that you can implement right away. So if this sounds like something you want to take advantage of, because there are only a few slots, click the Rev Up Your Revenue Assessment link in the show notes. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. Today's guest is Edna Keep, whose journey from single mom at the age of 16 and living in subsidized housing to multi-millionaire real estate entrepreneur, coach, and author of Multiple Ways to Wealth, Creating Your Prosperous Lifestyle, inspires others with her vision to empower people by educating them on financial options. Today, her claim to fame is a 75 million real estate portfolio she built with other people's money. Edna, welcome to the show. And my accountant in my first business told me I should always play with other people's money. And I did not master that as well as you. So I could really <laughs> find out the secret sauce. But thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Emmy. It's, uh, I'm excited to uh, be here as well. Yeah, yeah. Share with everybody, like, tell us everything. Like, what was it like moving from being in subsidized housing, a single mom, super young? What was the catalyst for you in starting your business? I want to know it all. Well, you know, it was a process, Emmy, but I think one of the first things I realized is when I was in my early 20s, I was making all of $1,200 a month and I had a $2,000 credit card debt. 
And the people around me, because I was feeling like I was drowning, were telling me things like, you have got to learn to live within your means. You can't be irresponsible and, and all this kind of stuff. And at that point, I kind of started thinking, if I'm going to learn something, maybe I want to learn how to be rich. I don't want to learn how to live within my means. <laughs> it sounds boring, you know? Right. And, uh, yes. So I, I just got an inkling in my mind and I didn't know much because I didn't know any wealthy people. I had one cousin though that was wealthy. And all I knew about him is that he'd started in banking and it was something to do with finance. And oh, he had a beautiful home and, and my aunt used to brag about him and my mom used to. And so that I just kind of got an idea in my mind that it had to do something with finance. So I ended up many years later, because it, it was a process becoming a financial advisor. And that was kind of my first foray into seeing that I could really do better for myself. And my first year full time as a financial advisor, I made 67,000. And and I, I had other jobs that kind of increased, but my second year I made 187,000. So it was like, wow, I really got something here. And you know, that was when I was really, I was really felt like I'd hit success. And, and a lot of things happened to get me there. We we were sitting in a, in a conference one time, our smaller mutual fund company had been bought out by a larger one. And there was a coach on stage talking about investing in coaching. And he said, he looked around the audience and he goes, how many of you here work with a coach? And what they'd done is they'd placed us uh, as new people in a a bunch of top producers. So I looked around and, and all these people that I had learned were making a million dollars a year plus were all put up their hands like, yeah, we have a coach. And I'm like, holy cow. So that's something I need to do. So before I left that weekend, I hired a coach and his name was Dan Sullivan. I didn't end up working directly with him. I didn't make enough money, but his program, and it was a real catalyst for me because it opened my eyes to what was really possible if you chose to study uh, wealth and and really personally grow yourself. And that was what got me started on, on the path of um, more and more personal development and eventually down the real estate journey. Which is amazing. And I guess this is what I really want to just focus in on for a few minutes is like you were juggling being a single mom and you were a single mom at 16. Like I was a single mom, but I was in my 30s when I got divorced. Yeah. And had some life experience, you know, behind me to be able to kind of pick up the pieces and figure out how to, you know, manage two kids and work and everything else. What was it like for you, you know, being a single mom that early in life? And did you feel like, you know, your options were very limited initially or? Definitely. You know, my brother just ordered me who I had a lot of respect for. He went on to uh, go to school to become a, a teacher. And he was actually the only one in our family of a family of eight that went to university. And, and we all just respected the hell out of him because it was like, oh, you broke the mold kind of, and you're out, out doing this, this teacher thing. Well, you know, I didn't have that option at me because I needed to make money and support us. And you know what? I really didn't have a whole lot of interest in, in attending further education anyway. I just always knew I'd just go straight to work because I liked money. I found that out when I got my first job at age 14. <laughs> And, uh, and so I love being able to earn my money and, and really having nobody tell me what to do. I, I was always very independent. And uh, I still remember my mother saying many times over, you never listened to a damn thing I said since you're 12 years old. <laughs> you know, so I definitely had a mind of my own. 
And, you know, that doesn't really fit in the education system. You know, we don't fit in that mold of being that good little kid that'll sit and listen and everything else. Another big catalyst for me was reading Robert Kiyosaki's book called Why Do A Students Work for C Students and B Students Work for the Government? Because I was always a C student, right? Uh All the things that you're not celebrated for in high school, just like Robert Kiyosaki went through very much strengths out in the real world. And, you know, and you oh, yeah. realize that. And that was huge for me to really realize that all the stuff that I was condemned for in high school is what allowed me to take on a sales position, learn how to be an entrepreneur, and then expand onto that. Because, you know, even to this day, I don't feel the need to be perfect in anything. I surround myself with people who have that need because we need them in the group, right? But I don't have that need. And that I think is what allowed me to expand and grow and accept the failures that happen along the way and right. one foot in front of the other, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the characteristics of entrepreneurs in general is it's not necessarily whether or not they did well, although most of the entrepreneurs I know were more in that C range, but that they knew that ongoing like um, air quote informal education was not their path. And not that they didn't want to learn, but they had to do it in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's incredible. That put down shut up part didn't work for me, Emmy. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I I don't know if it's the same for you, but one of the things I say to a lot of people that I'm meeting is just a couple of things. Like I'm incapable of following rules I'm incapable of doing things that require a lot of routine or redundancy. And I really like to just make up the way I'm going to do things, which sometimes is a lot harder. Like it'd be easier if I just followed the directions. <laughs> exactly. I don't even like to read the directions. Oh, no, no, no. Everybody, no, people make fun of me because I'm like, why would you read the directions? <laughs> I give that to my husband and go, here, you read the directions. Like, yeah, it why doesn't it just work? <laughs> uh, so very true. I was just going to say, but you know what, to to find out that that's actually a strength was the big thing. Not that you were failure because you didn't fit into the mold in school of what was des- what was defined as success, mm-hmm. I think was the biggest part of it, you know, and now gone on to meet, of course, many, many other uh, entrepreneurs. My, my last boss, before I became a financial advisor, had ADHD and he was diagnosed with that very young, caused him a lot of troubles when he was a young person, but as an adult. Man, he could run a business, you know, and he was so good with his employees and stuff like that. And I could see where that was a strength, even though in the book world, not right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I know so many entrepreneurs who have ADD or ADHD, but they can use it to an asset. And and in school, they try to drug it out of you. Yeah, exactly. Sit down and shut up. Exactly. (laughs) You mentioned, I just, I want to circle back to money for a quick second. You mentioned a couple of times that like you really love money. Was there a moment where you were like, yes, like I am just going to make it somehow. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, my very first job was just waitressing in a restaurant, but, but that my mother was the housekeeper at the motel that was attached. And, you know, I didn't have any expenses. I didn't have a car. I didn't have pay rent. And so it was all mine. And I could, you know, buy the beer and buy the cigarettes because I used to smoke back then, buy the French fries. You know, I felt like I just I just love that feeling to be able to share it with people and, and to just have money that I could spend. And I don't think not everyone gets gets that feeling of independence and and maybe almost power from having money that I felt, you know, I just felt at that point that, nay, hey, now I really don't have to listen to anybody anymore, you know? <laughs> and then as I got older, you know, I, I really had the belief that I, I could make money and I would, I would read magazine articles. Like I, I remember leading, reading about this lady in the Chatelaine magazine and hearing that she was making 300,000 a year as a financial advisor. And I thought, Hmm, I should learn how to do that. I can learn how to do that. And then I did, I went ahead and, you know, the other thing that I always had to do that maybe other people advantage, disadvantage, who knows. But because I had a kid, I could never give up my job and just go do one of those things. It was always a side thing. So evenings, weekends, that I was studying all this stuff. But you know, that's really helped me over the years too, that, you know, I was always kind of studying something on the side, they call them side gigs nowadays, or yeah. learning something on the side. And and that, that really helped too, uh, just kind of pushing forward, learning this, learning that, deciding, oh, that career path, this career path, oh, I like this one, you know? So you had a number of kind of side gigs as you were building yes. your business and well, your career as a financial advisor too. So what were some of the things that you did? Well, when, when I was, my first job out of high school was actually at a doctor's office. And for the first few years, again, I thought I had it made. I was evening or I had my weekends and evenings off working eight to five. And all my friends were either in the service industry at the restaurant or retail. And so everybody kind of thought I just had the cat by the tail, right? And I really liked it for my first couple of years. Then I got bored because it was reception work. I was basically walking patients in and out. filing and stuff. And and I got bored. So I started studying because the girls in my office, they were uh, the the ones that earn more money because I I was very money motivated. They were earning a couple hundred dollars more a month than me. And I remember thinking, man, if I could earn that kind of money. And so I started studying correspondence courses, actually, because when I was out uh, pregnant with my daughter, I took correspondence courses to stay up with my studies. So I only finished half a year, half a year late. And then I took correspondence courses while I was still working at the clinic, I took a secretarial course and an accounting course. And then, right. then when I started working in those uh, avenues, then I took an office administration course and started working in that avenue. And then when I was working in office administration, I started studying to be a financial advisor. My boss at that company allowed me to set up a group plan. I had an instant hundred advisory clients because it was like in the place of a pension plan. And then, then I moved into financial advisory full-time. Then I learned about real estate and I started studying real, actually, before I started studying real estate, I, I had two children in that time frame because I got married for the first time at age 40. And then I had two girls back to back. And while I was home with oh, them wow. uh, on maternity, maternity leave, I studied coaching. You know, I, I took a coaching course thinking, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. And then I don't know. I couldn't figure out how to make money. I'm not big money from it. I I make more money being a financial advisor. I'll just use my coaching, what I learned as a financial advisor. So I, I did that. And then, then I was introduced to real estate. And then I 
started in real estate for the first couple of years while I was still a financial advisor, seeing the writing on the wall. We were doing, uh, we'd bought 50 doors in 18 months of our training. And uh, so then I sold my financial planning practice a couple of years in and then went into real estate. And then seven years into real estate, I started having people just ask me, well, how did you do what you do? So then I kind of naturally progressed into coaching and training people. So there's always been one paying me the money while I built the next one, pay me the money while I built the next one, pay me the money. Even when I sold my financial planning practice, I set it up so that I would get payments over the next four years so that I didn't have to worry about the the day-to-day income and I could build what I needed to build. And that worked really well too. Yeah, I love that because it gives you that security as you're like when you're starting a new business, if there's any dips or shifts or anything. Yeah. So that you're you just you have more for me at least more freedom to play and take bigger risks. You know, and that's what it was. And also I needed that security. I had a kid to support. I could not jump off the deep end and, and hope to swim, you know. I needed to have that safety in place for her. Absolutely. So what drew you to real estate? I was telling you, I was working as a financial advisor and we had some big market shifts where I lived as a, in such a way that my house had almost doubled in value in about a five-year period. And one of my clients come in and he was going to take some money out of his mutual funds. And he was telling me he owned like 50 doors at the time. And, and he was telling me about real estate and why he wanted to take it out. He thought it was a good time to buy and all this kind of stuff. And I said, really? You want to invest in an asset class that pays you 3%? Like I didn't understand. You know, I was educated by a mutual fund company. All I understood was that. I didn't understand real estate. A lot of people think it by financial advisors are trained on all those aspects. I wasn't. Most aren't. It's whoever you're trained by, you follow their protocol, right? So he said, Eddie, you really should check it out and find out more about it. So shortly after that, there was a, a three-hour education event in our city that I got invited to and I went. And in the meantime, a couple other clients had kind of mentioned real estate and what they were dabbling in and stuff. So we went to that three-hour event, got our eyes open, signed up for a three-day event, got our eyes really wow. open. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, at the end of that three days, we had an option to put some money down for ongoing coaching and training to the tune of $27,000 US or walk away and just do what we could do after what we right. learned in the three-day weekend. Well, at that three-day weekend, we'd been introduced, not, not physically, but we'd been told about another couple who had taken this training two years prior. That's why this couple was there because they'd been advised, you should take this training. If you want to do what we're doing, you should take this training. And so they kept referring back to this couple. They had like 20 doors and this and that, and they kept talking about them. And it was, and so at the end, when the the salespeople were asking us what we wanted to do and what our goals were and what we we're going to decide, I said to my husband, well, who do you want to be like? Like we had had some clients that didn't take any training and never did anything. And then we were told about this couple. I said, who would you rather be like them or them? And he said, well, obviously them. And I said, well, you know what? They paid the money to take the training because it was a big chunk, you know? So that's what made us decide to, to move forward with that training. And within 18 months, we had 50 doors. And that's when I, I knew that we had something that, that was phenomenal. And that's when I sold my financial planning practice. Wow. And for people who aren't, who are listening, who aren't familiar with real estate investing, when you mean 50 doors, that means 50 like 
apartments or 50 buildings or 50 homes or well how we how we count make them. of those or yeah yeah how we count them is so when we started we actually bought condos so we bought a condo that would be considered one door one rental income right then we bought another condo then we bought a duplex so a duplex would be two doors so then we had four doors even though it was only three properties and then then we primarily bought duplexes after that or buildings we could convert into duplexes then okay. we bought a 24 unit apartment building so a 24 unit apartment building would be 24 doors wow yeah wow. so 50 doors in 18 months and we were actually inducted yeah. into Robert Kiyosaki's Hall of Fame for what we had accomplished in the, in our first 2 years in the business at that point well congratulations and i'm not surprised <laughs> Well, you know, there's a few things, again, that were catalysts to our success. One was we hired a coach with the training program. So we had a one-on-one coach that helped us with a lot of our fears and lack of knowledge and just implementing the steps because, I mean, you can get the education, but if you're not implementing the steps, I met lots of people that took the same education as we did, but never bought anything. And I, I realized after a few different things that they did differently than we did, but we hired a coach, but also, you know, that first couple that I told you, the other couple we're talking about all the time. We actually met them at one of the networking events that our coach put on because she also coached them. So she put on a dinner, invited a bunch of her students. We ended up partnering with them on a bunch of deals after that. And that really helped us grow because it took a lot of our fear out because I they would take me into houses and I would go, oh, I don't like this house. And they would go, Edna, you don't need to like this house. It's for a tenant. It's not for you. <laughs> You know, so they took a lot of the fear. They knew the areas. They understood the whole rental market. They they were running property management by then. And that, that really took a lot of fear away from us. That's great. So you had a mentor as well as the coach to really yeah. help yeah. you dive in. I mean, deeply, yeah. like not just jump in ankle deep, but like really up to your waist, but with support, which is... Yeah, exactly. And you know, we always talk that we kind of inspired each other. I would push, he would push, they would push, you know, and then next thing you know, like I bring a deal to the table, they bring a deal to the table. It's like, and we just kept pushing each other and moving and moving, you know, very, very yeah. quickly. That's how we ended up with that 24 unit apartment building because I got approached with it from my realtor, but I didn't have a clue about property management. So when they, they'd been out of town for the weekend, making some and some goals and at the convention, they came back and I said, hey, if I bought a 24-year apartment building, would you guys partner with us on it? And they went, oh yeah, absolutely. That's what we set as a year goal and we're going to make it in one deal. So it was like, okay, let's do it. And then we did it together. Awesome. So how did you get started? So, I mean, you had the coach, you had these wonderful mentors too. I presume started with like one property and then added a couple more. How do you grow exponentially? Like how does that well, work? It starts with one. So definitely that was our scariest one was our first one, but there was a few extenuating circumstances that were kind of funny. We had connected with a realtor that we knew that had actually sold us our last home and he started showing us some rental properties. So he took us to this apartment building that had been converted to condos and he was telling us that they had put them up for sale and they were selling them. And my oldest daughter had actually just moved into one of them. And I said, wow, I said, is that one for sale? And checks his list and goes, as a matter of fact, it is. I said, okay, I'll buy that one because then I know I got a tenant. I didn't have to worry about having a bad tenant because that was one of the scary things, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the second one we bought happened because 
my daughter got to meet the neighbors and she said, mom, these guys have lived there for 17 years. And I went, wow, okay, well, that's a guaranteed tenant for life. I'll buy that one too. So that was our first two purchases. But again, we used her coach. She helped us through evaluating it, understanding it, making sure it was going to cash flow, all that kind of stuff. And then, then the scaling part came just because, you know, we were seeing initial success. We weren't scared to go after more. And, you know, we'd go back to these conferences and we'd run into people who'd taken the same classes as we had, but hadn't got anywhere or maybe got a few properties. So just in questioning back and forth, because people would say things to me like, how'd you grow so fast? And I'd go, well, how come you got stuck? And so just in having those conversations, I found out that people were buying one, two, three, four doors, and then getting stuck at that level. And the reason was, is because they were doing everything themselves. They were trying to manage the deal. They were property managing it. They were going over there on the weekends and evenings to fix the toilets and the, you know, deal with the tenants and all that. And I I realized that that was what we did differently. We stayed away from that side of things right from the beginning, maybe because our first partner was a property manager, but we just knew we did not want to be dealing with tenants and toilets. And that's what allowed us to scale as we stayed out of that sandbox. And we concentrated on, you know, my strength was already dealing with investors Mm -hmm. through my uh, career as a financial advisor. So we concentrated on raising the capital for the deals. Yeah, that makes complete sense because one of the things I thought about and not like with any seriousness, but I definitely don't want to be dealing with toilets <laughs> at all and you know, Mine, or anybody else's. Part Emmy is with multifamily, you're required to have a property manager. You can't even get financing at the beginning without having a professional property manager on board. So it's Yeah. Cause I mean, as an investor, in anything, whether it's real estate or otherwise, like my time is value, valuable. And I want to make sure that I'm optimizing it for the next deal, the next, the next thing to purchase, invest, and not spend it on the things that I can. And I teach my clients this too. It's like stay in your zone of genius. Exactly. And not try to do everything yourself because it's just a time suck and it's exhausting. And especially if you're not good at it and you don't enjoy it. Like that's the other biggest thing that'll stop your growth because you keep thinking, I can't add another 20 doors. I'd have to do that much more work and I can't. Well, you know, that's a step. That's a mindset shift to go from, I'd have to do that much more work. That's just pain to thinking, well, could somebody else do all that work? And that was something we shifted right at the beginning. Love it. I love it. And so applicable to like every other aspect of your life. Absolutely. Like that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in scaling. So they don't want to hire or they're afraid to hire people to support them, whether it be coaches or contract workers to help them just do some of the admin, for instance. And sometimes, you know, people get burned once or twice and, and then they think everything's like that. Well, it's not, you know, I've had coaches that weren't perfect, didn't provide me a whole ton of value. And I just moved on to the next one, you know, learned what I could moved on to the next one, didn't get stuck there going, well, that was a terrible idea. That means every the coach I hire the rest of my life is going to be a terrible. No, that's not true. You know, when the successful people tell you, you know, a stat for you, I mean, you're going to love this. One of my fellow coaches was teaching me this just recently. He was saying, if your annual income is under 100,000, you probably have zero coaches. If your annual income is between 100 and 250,000, you probably have one coach. That's exactly where I found myself as a financial advisor.
advisor, one coach. If you have two coaches, you're probably earning between 250 and 500,000. And if you have four or five coaches, you're probably earning over a million. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So, so they see the value in taking those shortcuts, learning from somebody else's challenges and opportunities and mistakes and failures and everything else to short circuit the learning curve. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's, I think so important because why do it the hard way? (laughs) And you know what? That's what the C students figure out. The A students don't think they got to do everything. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I read an article the other day. It was so funny. It was somebody was saying, I can't remember exactly how it was, but it was why you hire lazy people to, to figure things out. And it was something as simple as in a, in a convenience store, these people were stacking shelves and it was like one bottle at a time. And this lazy guy comes along and he takes the whole box, puts it on the shelf, cuts the box off, slips the cardboard out, goes done. He had done in like one minute what everybody else was taking 10 minutes to do. So they go, yeah, we lots of times hire lazy people because they they stop to think about, hey, there's got to be a better way, you know? (laughs) I want to go have fun. So let me figure out how to do this as quickly and as effectively as possible. I don't want to be stacking bottles all day. What else is there to do? Just just zip cut the, the box, pulled it out, done. I thought, oh my God, that's just brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. For somebody who wants to get started, it's like, oh, real estate investing, like that would be super fun. And this sounds like such a really cool way to have something to play with from a financial investing standpoint, but also have some income. How does somebody get started? Well, you know, really it's just a decision. You know, because no matter what you do, you go to school to be a doctor, you got eight years of school. You go to school to be an engineer, you got eight years of school. You go to school to be a nurse, you got four. You go to school to be a financial advisor. I, I took my certified financial planner designation over three years. You know, so every everything, there's got to be some education. So start with books, podcasts, uh, you know, webinars to see if it's even an interest. And for I have lots of people, they usually come to me once they've already owned a few properties. So they already know and love real estate and then want to scale. And that's generally when they come to me. But I've taken brand new beginners who read Robert Kiyosaki's books and going, I don't, I don't want to be a, an employee. I want to I want to be self-employed. I, I want to understand that whole cash flow quadrant thing. And got into multifamily straight out of the, of the case. I had a 19 and 20 year old guy that started with me that still lived at home. Guys, there were two of them, they're friends still lived at home with their parents when they bought their first 72 doors of apartment buildings. Well, you don't do that without having a mentor and a coach with you. You know, you might buy a house here and a house there because that's kind of the tradition. But if you want to go big and and you can, you got to get a mentor, you got to get a coach, you got to understand the strategy and you have to invest in your own education. You don't get it from reading books or watching YouTube videos. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, at some point you have to put all the theory into action. Yeah, because I always tell my students, you know, you can study till cows come home, even my own course. It's not till you actually take what you've learned and buy a building that you're really even going to know that you know what you know, you know, <laughs> and and that's when when the rubber hits the road. And if you have your somebody holding your hand through the process, it takes your fear away, maybe not all of it, but at least you can go step one, step two, step three, step right, four, right. own the building. And but lots of people get stuck in that perpetuating education, 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 and never take the steps. What is your course? Tell us the name. 
It's called 90 Days to 5K. And the premise there is that in 90 days, you'll know what it's going to take for you to make 5,000 a month in recurring income from your real estate investments. Most of my students are hitting that between the 12 and 18 month mark. Remember I told you we did our first 50 doors in 18 months. We hit it in 18 months. I've had some students hit 100 doors in 18 months, kick my ass. But but you know what? It's a system. So it's like, okay, first you got to do this. Then you got to do this. And I take them through the system so there's a learning component and an action component, a learning component and an action component. And the natural next progression is you buy a building. I do it in a group basis where you're around like-minded people. And their number one goal is to own a building within the next year. And when you're with a whole group of people like that, you're not going to be left behind. It's like, yeah, I got to get a building too, you know? And, then, right. and being around like-minded people, you know, somebody started three months ago and they're already making offers, getting accepted offers. And the new people are looking at them going, you know, they might look at me and go, oh yeah, it'll take me years to be like Edna. But they look at the other students and they go, there's nothing special about him. I can do what he does. I can do what she does. And, and then it gives them incentive and inspiration to take some of those steps that takes you to the step that you want to build. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will definitely get the link for that in the show notes so that anybody who's listening and wants to check it out can do so because that sounds phenomenal. And I love that your course is learn and then implement. I think for me, at least too many, too many times, it's just ongoing learning and I need to go do stuff to really cement it into my brain. Most people should, even if they don't think they they should, that's what they need to do because that's only, I, I still, I talked to, I had to set a teacher sign up the other day and I said, you know what it was like when you were sitting in class being taught to be a teacher? Yeah. I said, it's different when you're standing at the front of the classroom and being a teacher. Oh yeah. I said, it's the same thing in real estate. It's not till you really go through your paces. And that's where I hold your hand too. So it's not like you're off on your own. I hold your hand. I help you make the offer, help you analyze the deal, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's important to know what to do when. And that's the other part because you you just can't, even when you, even if you've been through the education part, it's still, oh, I have this building. What do I do now? You know, and then, okay, let's, let's do this. And then let's do this. And then let's do this. And then that's how it happens. So cool. How long do you hold on to your properties for? Well, we're in kind of long-term buy and hold and we try to hold them as long as possible. But, you know, we have some investors that age out and they don't want to own them anymore. So, you know, sometimes we're kind of forced to sell and, you know, and cash out, kind of make our profits on a building and stuff like that. Sometimes we're selling smaller ones to get larger ones, different stuff like that. Sometimes some partners don't want to do it anymore. So you get new partners and sometimes you bring new partners in on existing deals, but that's usually a little bit more work and a little harder to to plan but generally we like to go in with a long-term buy and a whole generational wealth is what we call it generational wealth we we have we have corporations in place where we're going to pass things on to our kids you know we're buying them in the kids names now and the kids in the corporation that the kids own and stuff like that so that's that's the key for making a generational wealth too that is amazing yeah wow like yeah. to me that sounds like so much fun because not only do you get is there the learning component and you're investing, which for me is just so exciting when you start to see the returns of really doing the homework and making the right choices. You're giving people a place to live and, and then you get to pass it on. So create the legacy. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I always tease my daughters because they've grown up in a pretty nice, nice lifestyle and they're not that interested in real estate. They're only 17 and 19. 
so they're not that that interested yet. So they have interest in like doing hair and makeup and waitressing and and retail and doggy daycare and stuff, just stuff like that's the kind of stuff they work at. And I tell them, you know what, you're gonna have to own real estate just to be kept in the lifestyle you're used to. So even if you don't look after it, <laughs> you're gonna want to keep it, you know? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. What would you say has been the biggest challenge for you as an entrepreneur? You know, just the continual growth cycle because it it never goes away. I believe that goals are meant to make you grow and not for you to get because every time you hit a new goal, like and I remember thinking this in the past when the first time I made a hundred thousand a year, it was like who would ever need more than that? Or should I say when I was shooting for it, who would ever need more than that? I would just give it away if I made more than a hundred thousand a year. That's how I honestly thought. And then I got there and it was like, hmm. Yeah, that's not enough. <laughs> and then, and then was, okay, well, what's your goal now? It's 200,000 a year and on and on. And you know what? I realize now that we're goal-seeking mechanisms. We, we just are. That's how the universe works. And if you don't have a goal, you're going backwards. You're, that's when people retire, they die young, all that kind of stuff, because they don't have any goals. You know, I know people like, like Bob Proctor, for example, he's on stage at 87 years old giving more value than he ever did when he was 26. That's what I vision for my life is like, I always want to have more and more and more goals, a reason to get up in the morning, reason to be excited about my life. I'm Wait. never looking forward to retirement ever. And, and some people think I'm crazy because they go, well, when's enough? It's not about more. It's really about more personal growth. And I think you owe it to yourself to keep going after those goals, just to keep your life exciting and fun and, and uh, moving forward. I so agree with you. I can't envision not working and I'm sure how I work will be very different. I yeah. get older, but the people I know who are in their late 70s and 80s that are the healthiest are the ones that are still, and I'm air quoting, working, but they're giving value of some kind. And whether they're making money from it or not, doesn't like that I think matters less, but it's yeah. about the the value they can give to other people and then and the continuous learning too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that that and, and I love that. My mantra for years has been learn, grow, share. I love yeah. that. I love learning. I love growing and I love sharing what I've learned. Yeah. I mean, imagine if we all could give one piece of wisdom to somebody else that would help them shortcut something in their life. Yeah. What that would do for humanity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So absolutely. Edna, this has been such a cool conversation. I don't think we've ever talked about real estate like this on the podcast before. And like, I'm super excited now. You know, <laughs> I'm going to have to check out your course absolutely too, so that I could kind of add that into my, what do I want to create in the next five years plan? And again, you said it was 90 days to 5k for the course. Yep. We're going to have the link and where can, where can people connect with you? You know, the easiest way to connect with me is on my website, which is my name, ednakeep.com. My email address is edna at ednakeep.com. And I'm all over social media, uh, ednakeep. Awesome. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. I love my having you. Oh, good. Awesome. Well, I'd like to hear that too. So I hope I provided some good insight and value to your audience. And I love what you do too, Emmy. Like it's such a it's such a thing to give back because you you get to learn. And, and, and I'm a podcast host too, so I know what it's like. We get to meet the most interesting people, don't we? And share that with the people that that we surround ourselves with. And, and I love that you do that. It's it's such a huge component for people people's learning nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And share with everybody what your podcast is so they can check you out there. Seven figure real estate. Beautiful. Yeah. And I'm launching a new one, but I, there's my team is still searching for a name on it. So I'm going to have a new one too, coming up where I'm going to be interviewing success stories within the real estate world and just getting their insights on what it takes to get the first few properties. Cause that's usually a sticking point for a lot of people too. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. It sounds super fun. And everybody go check those both of those podcasts out as soon as the second one is kind of up and running. Do you have a, a launch date for that once you have? We're thinking around 10 weeks that it'll happen. Okay. Uh, a lot of it depends on how fast we get the information over with, with my team and everything like that. But uh, I think that's what they're thinking is around 10 weeks. And I'm sure they can, at the time, just enter my name in the podcast to get it. So yeah, then we'll have the second one. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank Thank you again so much. And for everybody who is listening, we will see you next week. Thanks, Emmy. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders.